Amen. Thank you, Yules and humans. I told you before, between the offertory and the special, felt like we had half the church up here. Amen. And uh, that's a good thing. That's an exciting thing. Praise the Lord for all the, the talent and people serving. And it's one thing to have talent, it's a whole other thing to use it for the Lord. And uh, grateful for that and those who do it. And appreciate both of them, both the offertory and that special. Appreciate all the music. You folks have been singing wonderfully. And uh, I, I don't know, I always think the, the singing of a great congregation is a little bit of taste of heaven. And uh, what we look forward to and singing praises to our Lord. James chapter number 4, part 24 of our study in James. And uh, just a couple verses for this evening. It certainly, we'll see, kind of builds on what, what we've talked about already. But in its own self, or in its own case, it stands alone too. And so... Um, we'll delve into James chapter 4. Let's go ahead and read verses uh, 11 and, and 12. James chapter 4. and Look down at verse uh, 11. We've covered through verse 10 last week. We really uh, came and talked about humility and pride and, and uh, that resistance to grace. We Remember what we said, pride is a grace repellent and uh, humility is a grace attractant. And uh, that really sums up those verses well. Now we come to verse 11. Notice it. James, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? I like these two verses. And upon first glance, you and I may read them and think, okay, it's not, it's not very connected to the subject matter just dealt with by James. But I'll tell you tonight, if you and I will consider it carefully, if we'll read those verses, it quickly reveals that the Holy Spirit is indeed connecting the whole passage together. As he just comes off about humble thyself, verse 10, humble thyself or yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Uh, we might not think it goes, but boys, we consider that and we see that it is the lofty opinions, listen carefully, it's the lofty opinions of self that lead us to exercise fault-finding abilities in the lives of others. So one of the greatest propensities in a person who begins to find faults with others, as James says, to speak evil of other people. And in this case, we'll see what he says. He says brothers, so we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you, I'll say it in just a moment or break it out a little bit in a moment. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to us as believers. He's saying, listen, hey, if you're a person who's going to speak evil, and we'll define what that means, if you're going to speak evil of a fellow believer, then likely in your life there is a pride issue. You have a loftier view of yourself than you ought to have. You've been puffed up. You're vaunted up, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, charity doesn't do. <laughs> you're vaunted up. You're, you're about you. And so when that's the case, that is often when we exercise and employ our fault-finding abilities in other people. We start to tear them down. There may be real faults in them because, can I tell you, friend, there's none of us that are perfect. 
There's no person, there's no church, there's no family, uh, there's no assembly in any way. There is nothing that is perfect this side of heaven when it comes to mankind. So if you're going to look hard to find something in somebody to find fault, I'll tell you, you'll find it if you look long enough and hard enough. So there may be actual real faults there, but aren't you grateful that the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins? That you and I are supposed to look through eyes and we're not supposed to proclaim and, and select and point out someone's fault, but their failings. But in fact, you know, the Bible encourages us to extol the good things about people, uh, to praise them in some sense. So it is in this passage. When he says, speak not evil of one another, brethren, there is a logical continuation of the haughty and the proud person in his actions within the church. You see, the humble person, as James has just described, will be slow to do this, but the proud, (laughs) not so. They'll quickly do just this, speak evil of someone. You won't have to wait long, and they'll let it flow from their lips. They'll tear down someone. Uh, they'll rip them apart. They'll do exactly how we'll define it in a moment. We know from this uh, epistle of James, he has set out in practical Christianity, he has set out uh, to uh, deal with how we're to live, not just in the world at large and in our day-to-day living, but also how we are to live within the church, Christ's church, this church, this local called-out assembly of believers. He deals with that. He has been dealing with uh, the uh, thing that is too tolerated (laughs) too often in the church, in Christ's church. He's been dealing with the many manifestations of worldliness. Um, He's gone through several. You remember, we've talked about strife and quarreling and fighting. And now he's saying evil speaking. And in the same verse, he's saying those who judge others. These uh, all tell us that there's an unjust and uncharitable judgment. And when these actions and behaviors and their underlying attitudes are present in the church, you can mark it down that the spirit and thinking of the world has infiltrated the local church. It's not just a church either. It's a youth group. It's a a family of Christians, of believers. You and I can then display attitudes and actions that do not belie the fact that we are God's children, but really speak to the reality we have allowed in the thinking and the spirit of the world. And so we've not yielded our members unto righteousness, as Paul said, but honestly under unrighteousness. We are a reflection of uh, the old man, of the wickedness of this world, as opposed to a reflection of a spirit-controlled believer. So James really, and you got to like James, because James says, I'm going to hit it on the head. We've talked about how James is straightforward. He is, uh, boy, he, he steps on toes, feet, everything else he can. He, he slaps us across the face with the truth of the gospel. He doesn't beat around the bush. He is telling us that uh, this worldliness, this spirit and this attitude that leads to these things, it doesn't come back. Because sometimes we'll look at the door and we'll wait for someone who looks like the world, who acts like the world, who dresses like the world, and we're like, oh, we don't want them bringing something into this church. We don't want them to bring worldliness and to discolor this church and affect it. But can I tell you that that is not normally where it comes in. It comes in through a door that the youngest believer and the oldest believer of Fostoria Baptist Church has. A babe in Christ to a seasoned saint in the Lord has a door that they can open to worldliness entering this church. Every one of us do. 
So let's be careful. Let's not sit here and judge the world coming into this place. My friend, we want unbelievers coming to church. <laughs> with all their scars, with all the... Listen, we want them to come here because praise be to God, you and I have the words of life. We know the Savior who can change them, but more importantly, can save them. So we want them to come. But oh, my friend, the worldliness, attitude, it doesn't come in on their backs. No, there's this door that swings wide open to worldliness in all of us. What is it? You know it. James has described it. It's our flesh and that selfish flesh, the, the self-exalting part of us that want preeminence and uh, to extol our own great praises, but then put down someone else. You see, when the flesh is entertained and indulged, when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to do, that's what opens the door. Paul spoke of it. Turn with me, if you will, Romans chapter 12. Obviously, keep your spot here, but Romans chapter 12. And notice what Paul said. Well, he is dealing with we're all members of the church and very apropos for a discussion of what the church is and our role as individual believers. But Romans chapter 12, he's speaking of uh, the church and... um, Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, and all members and I have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ. Okay, so we understand the context, but back up now to verse number 3. He says this, for I say, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for I say, and don't miss this because it ties it into James, verses uh, 10 and the earlier ones, through the grace given unto me. Now, isn't that interesting? Here's Paul. He's alluding to what James just built on, that he giveth more grace to uh, the humble. Paul's building on this. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, notice this statement, not to think more highly, or of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And that is great advice. Hey, young person, you ought not to think higher of yourself than you ought to. And you say, well, how should I think of myself? Well, let's start with what we do know. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. And the only way that I am anything is because God is everything. So that's a good bottom line, baseline to start with. And when you maintain that mentality and that view of yourself, then you won't think higher of yourself. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul said. Great view, great understanding. But my friend, when we think higher of ourselves, that's exactly when we open the door to the world, to the devil, And they come waltzing into this church. When pride gets the better of us, when we give in to thinking we're something, we've arrived. As Paul said, I I don't act like I've already obtained. Well, when we do, boy, pride is there. And it opens the door. And it becomes manifested, James says in this, notice it, in these verses, number one, and we'll just get to this first point this evening, but James warns of the offense made against our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, speaking evil against one another, brethren. Don't do it. Don't do it. The phrase in the Greek is really expressed in just about two words uh, here in James chapter 4, the beginning statement all up there, um, that, that statement, speaking evil against one another. 
Um, And it carries, though, a multitude of thoughts, and we're going to unpack it tonight. First, the literal meaning of the word, we would say is this, is to backbite. We know what that is, to speak against someone. I I like this definition, to tear someone, to tear them to pieces, okay? Just to destroy them in a sense. It is negative speech. It is derogatory speech. It is critical comments. It is gossip. All these things wrapped up in it. Now notice this, the intent, it is a critical, hurtful, attacking spirit with the aim to destroy someone's reputation and influence on others. So I am tearing them down, I am attacking their dignity, their character, their reputation, and so I'm just tearing, sometimes it's little by little, piece by piece, sometimes it's through innuendos and some great subtlety, other times it's a full frontal attack behind their back to someone else. That's really what he's saying. Don't speak evil of others. Don't backbite. Don't don't share derogatory speech, critical comments, gossip, hurtful, attacking spirit. You know what I've often said is this, and I think it comes to play here in the church. Hurt people hurt people. And so sometimes somebody hurts us and we don't deal with it correctly. We don't handle it in our side of this whole equation where we are to forgive them. Can I tell you right now, can I just be bluntly honest and transparent with you? In 20 plus years in the ministry, there have been a multitude of times that people have offended me by their action and their words and have never once come back and asked forgiveness. But can I tell you tonight, through the Holy Spirit, I've given them forgiveness. Now, what does that do? Well, frankly, my friend, that alleviates me of a whole big burden. It it doesn't put it on me. I'm not going to suffer from it anymore because I've given it to the Lord and I have forgiven them even if they haven't sought it out. Because I don't want that baggage in my life. I don't want to hang on to something that, boy, yeah, it may have hurt. It may have been painful. But you know what? My God has forgiven me of a whole lot more. So I can in turn forgive somebody. But when we don't do that, when that's not our heart and attitude, when we don't have this sense, and I'll tell you, some of those took time. I didn't want to give it to the Lord. I wrestled with it. I wanted to hang on to it. It was hurtful, it was painful, it was mean, it was unkind, it was unjust, and it was some lies said. And th- Boy, you want to hang on to it in your flesh. But I'll tell you, my friend, oh, the joy and peace that comes when you let go of it. And if you don't let go of something like that, you can hang on to it for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And what ends up happening, the very type of person that hurt you, you become. <laughs> you become. And so, my friend, let go of it. Give it to the Lord. I, I think it's so very true that hurt people hurt people. And this type of thing, as he deals with here, it really comes down to selfishness. Selfishness is at the root of your depreciation of others. When we try to tear someone down, there's a multitude of motives. We'll speak to some of them. But the reality is it's rooted in selfishness. I, I'm so self-focused and trying to build myself up in one way or the other. And so I use it as a means to, to tear someone else down. What we would say is the word slander is a great all-encompassing word for this. In fact, there is some reliable uh, definition of the Greek word here as slander. 
Webster's 1828 dictionary, no Webster, the one that is most commonly used with the King James Version, defines slander as this. A false tale or report maliciously uttered intending to injure or intending, excuse me, and intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens. By exposing him to impeachment and punishment or by impairing his means of living. Now, can I tell you right off, I, I couldn't help but in that definition thinking of our president. <laughs> when it says him to impeachment, you and I both know the media and many others have tried to slander our president. So, I mean, that, that's their goal. Don't get me wrong. I think he has given them enough fodder, uh, <laughs> enough things to use in some ways, but they have taken it well beyond that in the parodies and everything else. But most often, our world, even our godless world, does not put up with slander. In fact, legally, if you believe someone has publicly slandered your name, you have the legal right and ability to take them to court and sue them for character defamation. We're talking about a godless world who could really care less. And I'll tell you, what they view slander is, it's not a good thing. They don't want it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want it in our, in our society. They don't want people to exercise it and use it. And you know what the sad thing is? Though they say it has no place in a godless society, yet it often runs rampant in the church. We often just let it flow without restraint. Certainly is a shame. The phrase or the couple words that are translated here is this phrase. The first one really provides the negative thrust of the phrase. It it, it implies what we would say is the negative exercise. And I like this. Note it. The negative exercise of the will and thought against another person. So, so picture what James is saying. He says, hey, listen, when you speak evil about someone, it starts with your will. What is your will? What we often call the volitional will. In other words, you choose. It is who you are. Your will chooses what to do. And so in your thoughts and will, you begin to have a negative view and estimation of another person. The world at large, in other words, people, they, they may judge our words and our actions, but they cannot know, and therefore they cannot judge our thoughts and our will towards another. You and I can get away with this part of what James says. In our will and our thoughts, we can be evil. We can be wicked. We can be unchristlike. We can be ungodly. We can be uncharitable in our thoughts and our wills, and no man is the wiser. Hey, young person, can I tell you something? Hey, teenager, there's several spread around out here. Can I encourage you? Beware, because the devil in your thoughts and your will wants you to be maliciously against your parents. You may not express it verbally. You may not let it boil out anytime. But in your heart and in your mind and in your will, the devil's winning a battle. Because your view and your attitude to your parents is not right. And it's negative. You're not seeing them for the parental authorities that God has established in your life to help you and aid you and assist you in following God. This is where it starts. See, man can't always see it. Mom and dad don't always read it on a teenager. But let's be reminded, friend, 
your heavenly Father knows. Speaking to God, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 39, For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men. You know it well, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, For the Lord searcheth all hearts, he understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And what a statement. Your God knows. And so there it is. It's below the surface. Uh, maybe here tonight there's a Christian or two and, and let's be honest, your, your esteem of someone else has fallen in, in your mind and in your thoughts and in your will. Below the surface it is brewing. Maybe they did something to you. Maybe there was an offense. Maybe you're envious. You're jealous of them in one way or the other. I mean, there is a multitude of things that we can look at someone and allow some thoughts to creep up in our will to view them in a, in a wrong light. And so there it is. It's brewing. And yet it's mixed with selfish exaltation of self. A supercritical, fault-finding ambitions come to the surface. You, you ever know someone who has someone else in their life, or maybe you, a mutual friend that you have, and they view that person as being, not being able to do anything right in their eyes? They have become so vitriol, they have become so full of disdain and angst towards that person. And that person, boy, they could be the most perfect person in words and action, but they are not given any benefit of the doubt, and everything is interpreted the wrong way. It starts here, with our will and our thoughts. That will and thought is then agitated against a fellow believer, normally rising out of sinful motives. Envy, jealousy, building self up, easing our guilt about our own faults. Any of these are, are motives that then push us. See, if we can tear someone down, else down, then it doesn't make us feel so bad about our own problems. So sometimes that's behind us speaking evil of someone else. So one's heart is no longer filled with the love that we are called to have towards one another. It's filled with envious, critical disdain for another. But James then says, it doesn't stop there. So you may be sitting there, Christian, saying, listen, I have this under control, Pastor. <laughs> you know, there is somebody who the Holy Spirit has brought to mind, and yeah, I, I just can't get along with them. <laughs> I just, I, I, they've done things in the past, and I just, we just can't get going. And we, I, mean, I, I just don't want to talk to them. I just, I, and we think that we can control that. We, we think that it, it's under control and it's not going to get any worse. And then, you know, we, we often even convince ourselves that we're the victim, we're the mal, or martyr, and that, you know, we'll just bear with it. Can I tell you, my friend, that's a very selfish attitude. God doesn't expect you to do that. You know what God does? He expects you to get it right. Make it right. Boyfriend, it, James says, you're not going to be able to control it. You remember what he said in verses 8 and 9. It's what some of the old preachers always encourage us to do. Every Christian needs to keep short accounts with God. I like verses 8 and 9. We kind of sped through them last week. Draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn literally over your sin and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Get your sin dealt with. Deal with it. Take care of it. Don't let it breathe something in you that you don't want to know where it's going to go. Confess it. Forsake it. I like to put it this way. Take care of your sin or it's going to take care of you in a bad way. 
Run with your sin to God before it runs away with you. Go confess it. Repent of it before it grows and does irreparable damage in your life, in the life of others. And dear friend, could I tell you, it can do irreparable damage within the local church. When you don't take care of it, when it starts with thoughts, when it starts with your will, when it starts below the surface and begins to brew. Tonight, there's no doubt some Christians here gathered with us who in your will and thoughts, you've entertained evil against a sister or brother. Can I challenge you tonight? You need to make that right. You need to confess that to your Savior. You may not have said anything. No one else may know, but God sure does. He's calling you to repent of your inward criticism, your inward slander, and derogatory thoughts. You know what? James is sounding the alarm. He's echoing some of the things that Christ himself has said. If you don't deal with this sin on this level, it's going to take you to the next level that James is about to reveal. In fact, that Christ said would happen. And that is often in public. That is often before mankind. Whereas before, maybe only God knew the heart. Now your sin has transversed to before men. So that other men may see it. How does that happen? Well, Christ said it best. For out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaketh. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now notice, he goes on. He says, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Matthew chapter 12. So out of the abundance of the heart, your thoughts, your will, and everything that James even alludes to here, your mouth is going to speak. You may hold it in. You may keep it in check for a short time or some period of time. But the reality is, if you continue to entertain those wrong thoughts those evil thoughts if you think on those things and meditate we've already seen it in james if you think on it and meditate they are going to come to the surface and you will speak them and literally that's what james says in chapter four the second word of this phrase the first one was that negative connotation of the will the thought the next word paired with it by james literally means speaking audibly with an evil account of someone we're sharing with someone else an evil account of the person of whom we are talking about. These thoughts and that evil cannot be contained if they are not confessed. They will come out. The, the scriptures are ripe with examples of the truth. Hey, back in, you remember the story of Jacob and Laban. As it came time for Jacob to be leaving very soon, and God was certainly orchestrating it, in Genesis chapter 31, in verse 1, we have an interesting account of Laban's sons. They're looking at Jacob, and they're seeing their inheritance from Laban decreasing, or, or it was blessed, actually, but it, Jacob was just flourishing. God was blessing him, even as he worked for Laban. And, and they're watching this, and they become envious. They become jealous, and no doubt in their thoughts and in their will, they began thinking, ugh terrible thought hey that happens on the, the the youngest of levels it happens among us as older adults now, think about it in junior church and boy i am so grateful for our junior church teachers <laughs> they labor and labor and labor and boy uh, with those kids i'm grateful for it if you want to be a junior church teacher you come see us okay we'll use you but i'm thankful for them and many of them you know what they do and maybe some of you sunday school teachers do the same thing a quiet seat award Okay, how many of you have ever won a quiet seat award? I don't know if I ever have in my life. Okay, good. Uh, 
quiet seat of war. Hey, that's a great thing, right? That's an encouragement to do right, to be quiet. And in fact, one of my kids said today they had an extra quiet seat of war. Woohoo! I couldn't even sniff at that. Uh, <laughs> but hey, a, a quiet seat of war. Now listen, we know what happens even in that. The teacher then has to pick one, and that's where if you're a smart teacher, you have the other teacher pick it, right? So the kids can blame them. But um, uh, the teacher picks, and they, they pick a young child. All the other children, oh, then you start maybe hearing something. Well, I saw them talking. I, they, they were talking all class. Now, come on. We've thought that, haven't we? I mean, that enters our heart. At a young age, the heart is desperately wicked. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. We understand that. That's what transpires. Is it right? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you, when this flesh and this old nature is in control, that's what comes out. Now, you move ahead 30 years. What? They got chosen to sing the special and the cantata, the solo? They got picked for the drama? Oh, I could outact them any day. What? He got nominated for a deacon? Pastor Henry called on them to pray? And it could go on and on and on and on. I don't care about your age the flesh is alive and well at every age he is this is why james is speaking to us laban's sons they look at jacob they're angry they're mad they're envious they're jealous look at him this is what they say notice that jacob hears about it and he heard the word of laban's sons what were they saying they were saying this jacob hath taken away all that was our father's now wait a second if i remember the story correct it's laban that first deceived jacob and kept him around for a while. Now, granted, there's some truth that, that Jacob did some things with the flock. But can I tell you, remind you, Laban's possessions were blessed right along with Jacob's. He was blessed because Jacob was there. But notice these sons. Man, he has taken away. He's stolen all that was our father's. And of that which was our father's hath he gotten all his glory. That is some bitter children, isn't it? And notice it. Now, now don't miss this. Because I think this is also another reason why James brings it up, Paul brings it up, why the Scriptures tell us, don't, don't speak evil of each other. Hey, church, don't speak evil of your brothers and sisters. One of the reasons why is this simple truth. It affects other people. See, Laban's sons, they're at home. They're around the dinner table. I can't believe that, Jacob, Dad. He's taken all your glory. Oh, sons, he has a, no, no. Oh, he's still in our inheritance, Dad. Day after day after day, they're talking evil of Jacob. And it begins to affect Laban. It it plants some seeds. And even Laban would know it's not fully true. It's not all that way, that he has treated Jacob worse than Jacob's ever treated him. And yet, it starts to sink in. He believes. And, you know, some people say you, you repeat a lie long enough and you begin to believe it. There may be some truth to that. You can deceive yourselves, the Bible says. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Sometimes we deceive ourselves that we won't reap what we've sown. So Laban begins to believe a lie. Now notice it. Notice it. The very next verse. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban and beheld it was not toward him as before. Hmm. 
Hmm. Wow. You know what a slanderer wants to do? He wants to get someone's ear. He wants to get someone else on his side, convince him. And so here, here's Laban, and now all of a sudden his attitude towards Jacob has changed. His countenance, the Bible says in this place. Can I tell you to speak evil? Now listen to me, listen to me carefully. To speak evil of another person, get it down, young person, it helps no one. And it injures at least three people. It injures the speaker because you will reap what you sow. God will not bless you. It injures the one spoken to, maybe innocent, but now they're getting affected by what is said. They're getting changed and influenced by wrong information, a bad attitude, bad thoughts, and a bad will that has expressed itself in words, and now they're being affected in a negative way, just like Laban was. And then number three, obviously, the third person that it injures is the one spoken about. Here's another proof of this truth. It's from the book of Esther. You know Haman. He was the genocidal foe of the Jews. He wanted to do away with them. And to the Persian king, Ahasuerus, he slandered the whole nation. That's quite something. But boy, I'll tell you, we see that in the media about Israel even today. Notice that this is what he said. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all of the provinces of thy kingdom. He's not telling them who he is because he knows of Esther. And their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. And that's not true. That was a lie. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Can I tell you that God blessed many of the nations that the Israel was even detained in um, because Israel was there. So that's not even true the last part. What is that? A slander. You know what happened to Haman. He got hung on his own gallows. But it not before it wreaked havoc on Esther and Mordecai and all the Jews. That day set aside where people could go all about free day to kill a Jew. That would have been quite horrifying if it ever came to pass, wouldn't it? Boy, it affected them. It affected King Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus, yeah, let's take care of this people. And what did he act? He acted foolishly. Why? Because someone else had influenced him in a certainly a wrong way. Can I tell you, listen carefully, I'm almost done. James says to think about who you have in your crosshairs. Who is it that you don't mind speaking evil about? Now notice it. What does he say three times over? Brethren, brother, and brother. You know what he's doing? He's trying to reason with you and I as children of God that we are dealing with family relationships. Hey, he is not talking about your co-worker that you're going to see tomorrow. He's not talking about an unsafe family member. He is talking about fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are not supposed to speak evil about. He is challenging us, don't do that. Don't speak evil of it. You know what I see sometimes, and maybe you have personally experienced it too. I see families, and sometimes it's even, I see it in my own family, how that we can be so very less gracious with our own siblings and family members than we are with those outside of our own family. I mean, we can treat other people with a, a modicum of, of graciousness, a, a little bit of, you know, understanding. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But boy, we come to our own family and it's like, oh, we're like death on them. 
I see it among children. Hey, young people, your brothers and sisters in your home ought to be your best friends. I mean that. They, they ought to be. I want you to have good, godly Christian friends at, at church. But your brothers and sisters that God has given you in your own family, make them your best friends. Make them your best friends. Hey, love them more than you love anybody. Give them the benefit of the doubt. But boy, I see it. Children in our church, they'll treat other people in the youth group or in the younger ages nice and kind, but the little brother, the little sister, or the sister or brother talk to him, and they snap at him. What do you want? Now, wait a minute. If that was your friend over here, you wouldn't act like that. Now, listen to me. You and I both know spiritually from the Scriptures and experience, sometimes you and I can take what happens in the physical and it's paralleled in the spiritual. So God is looking at you through and me and through James. He's saying, now listen, that very same thing is not right, it's not good, it's not godly, but sometimes it can creep up in the family of God in the church. Where if this was your neighbor and they did, oh no, that's okay. This was a coworker. oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, 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 I didn't think anything about it. That was no offense. But you take a fellow Christian you've gone to church with for 10, 15, 20 years. Oh no, you didn't. Mm. And all of a sudden, we're starting to treat this person not like someone else in the world. And certainly not like a brother and sister in Christ. Can I tell you, it's not that we ought to treat them wrong. It's that we ought to treat our brothers and sisters better. We ought to esteem them better than ourselves, as the Scripture says. You see... Just the idea that in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirit, there is animosity between members of the same family ought to break our hearts. We are to be a supporting, loving, protecting family. Love and protect one another. Slander, as even the Scripture says, is going to come from out there. It ought not to come from within here. There's no place for it. Not in the family of God. It ought not to be found. Paul issued it. He understood it. He said to the church of Galatia, now listen, he said to the church of Galatia, he warned them, a sobering warning, he said this, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Hmm, it's good. Paul's writing that to the church of Galatians. Now listen, in the churches, in the Bible, Corinth and, and, and Philippi and, and these Thessalonica, these different churches, you'd have to look at Galatians and say, that's one of the nicer churches. The things that Paul dealt with in the book, in the epistle of Galatians, were, man, he was dealing high doctrine stuff. They, were, they got some of the basics out of the way. Certainly not like the church of Corinth, but he's talking to this church that is mature, that's supposedly following God in many different areas. He's looking at this, listen, be careful. Don't bite and devour each other. You'll be consumed one of another. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting statement to what we would call a mature church. An established church. Be careful. To, you know, the old saying, I don't think it's true, but familiarity breeds contempt. Has no place in the local church. It ought to produce love. Graciousness. I've told you, and uh, well, let me back up. If I 
if you and I truly share God's view of our brothers and sisters, how does God view them? Well, He sees them as someone who was worth Christ dying for. He he loves them. He honors them, the Bible says. And we will spend eternity in heaven with them. If I see my fellow believers, you as my brothers and sisters, as Christ and God sees you, then I will seek to honor you, to love you, and protect you. Yes, that may include that I may have to come to you, a brother overtaken in a fault. I, I might have to exhort and confront, but doing it in love, doing it in humility, doing it with a spirit of reconciliation. All, again, wrapped in the same kind of love that God has shown us. I've told you many times before this truth. The calling card of every Christian and every church of Christ is to be our love one for another. That's supposed to be our calling card. Every church, every believer, every local assembly. Christ himself established it. A new commandment, he said, John 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then he adds this, you know it well. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. We have said, it will, we have focused this evening service. You've seen the music from the special down through the hymns. We have focused on the love of God. And praise be to God, you and I have tasted of it. But now you and I are supposed to be a mirror of that same love. We're supposed to express it, not just to the world at large, But, oh, my friend, to every brother and sister in Christ, demonstrating it, displaying it. A charitable, a charitable spirit is to mark the house of God, the family of God, and the children of God. But speaking evil against brothers and sisters does not produce this kind of spirit. Rather, it makes us look like, not like followers of the one and only loving God, but like fleshly, worldly selfish followers of our own hearts and desires take heed christian james is saying do not speak evil of one another brethren don't do it you're going to cause irreparable harm and you're not fulfilling the commandment the new commandment as christ said that he gave unto us Don't be a child of God that speaks evil of another, causing an offense against them. Now, Lotus says, you say, okay, Pastor Henry, I get it. We're not supposed to speak evil. Well, take it deeper as we started out before. Understand this. You don't stop speaking evil against a brother by keeping your mouth shut. You do it by keeping your thoughts of others right and holy. It goes back to the will and the thoughts. You're not going to, well, I just won't say anything. And I mean, I'm, I really don't like them, but I'm just, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know how so many times I hear that? And I'm like, somebody says, well, you know, yeah, they, they, oh, that really bothers me, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Hey, listen, you've already blabbed it. You already threw it out there. What are you saving us? <laughs> That's not the attitude. Hey, you don't stop speaking evil about someone because you close your mouth, you stop speaking evil about someone because you change your thinking. First Corinthians 13, we saw it when we talked earlier in James, says, Charity thanketh no evil. Now, if you take anything away, take the last statement, my friend. You think no evil to speak no evil. Think no evil, and you won't have a problem speaking evil. Look at your brothers and sisters, and boy, you see somebody. 
they're coming down the aisle at handshake time and you're hoping they're not from the same city as you so you can get your handshake out of the way. You see them and, and, and what's the first thought that pops up into your head? Because sometimes it takes retraining. Well, man, last Sunday I went to shake their hand. They just walked the other way. Hey, 10 years ago, man, I, I remember they really hurt me and they never, boy, they never came back and apologized or anything like that. It takes us retraining our thing, not thinking evil, but thinking, oh, praise the Lord. You know what? I sure am glad they came to church today. I sure am glad they're here. I'm sure glad they are faithful. Start thinking some positive thoughts. Start changing your thinking, not to think evil, but to think good thoughts. What sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just, lovely, of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Can I tell you, Christian, church will be a whole better place. Listen to me. Church would be a whole better place if a whole lot more people made sure they didn't speak evil of other people. We would shine greater as a light in a dark world if we'd speak less evil of each other and start speaking about our Lord. I'm not being harsh. I'm just saying what James said. If you and I would focus on thanking no evil, we'd speak no evil. And you know what that does? That leaves us enough words to talk about the goodness of God, His gospel, and what He can do for every unbeliever. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the challenge of this passage. What a, what a great truth that we have been confronted with this evening. And Lord, if we are honest tonight, Lord, You know our hearts that there are times every single one of us are tempted, Father, to thank evil of a brother or sister. Lord, it, it doesn't erase the righteous judgment that you speak of that we must uh, participate in. But Father, this is fault-finding. This is criticism. This is slander. And Lord, there are certainly times we are tempted to commit it. And Father, when we give into our flesh and our old nature, Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to, uh, Lord, establish our hearts to think no evil so we speak no evil. Lord, I truly believe that there's at least one person here tonight that's wrestling with bad thoughts about a brother or sister. In some sense, they may be warranted because of the wrong actions. But Father, if they're not careful, it's going to move them and grow into speaking evil. I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to their heart tonight. I pray that they would come and be reconciled to you, that they would put those thoughts in that will there on the altar and may they experience the forgiveness that you'll give and the peace that comes when we give these things to you lord as we go out from this place tonight as we spend some time in fellowship here i pray that we be very careful to speak no evil Faustoria baptist church lord would be known as a place where love flows where words are kind where people esteem each other better than themselves. And Father, there's not a negative word to say about anybody. Only good words about our gracious God. Help us to be the church you want us to be. What you've called us to be. From the youngest to the oldest, may we please you in these things. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I ask you to join me in standing all across.